Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Pure and Simple Bible. Grateful for your continued support, and thank you very much for those of you who answered the call in the last couple of weeks and left a five-star review on the podcast on different platforms. Thank you for those of you who have not done so yet. If you would be so kind as to go to uh, Apple Podcast or Spotify or SoundCloud, whichever one you listen on, and uh, leave a five-star review. And I would be grateful for it. It helps me with the analytics. It helps getting the podcast out there. It helps increase its likelihood for others to find it. So that's why I need you to help me out with it. I'm really grateful this week because I've been able to do a lot of work behind the scenes. There's a new workbook out, and uh, if you haven't heard about it, I've done my best to try to put it on all the different platforms that I have, Pure and Simple Bible on. But please go to the website and look up the new workbook called Let's Talk About Jesus. Now, this week for our podcast, uh, it's just going to be me, no guest. And I don't do this very often. I don't prefer it because I want to have a guest and I want to have interaction. But just the way things worked out with scheduling guests, I couldn't get a hold of somebody in time. So I will do my best to ask questions like I'm being interviewed and answer them. And so what I'd like for you to do is if there's additional questions, things that I haven't considered, uh, an additional way that we could study the Scripture out together, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at pureandsimplebible at gmail.com. Now, when the Christian gospel is shared... Uh, the biblical pattern, as far as I see it, about becoming a Christian is completed with water baptism for the remission of sins. I see some scriptures like uh, Acts 2, 38, Romans 6, 3, 4, 1 Peter 3, 21. These are scriptures that Christians commonly use to talk about the necessity of baptism. That doesn't take away from faith, and it doesn't take away from grace, although a lot of people think it does. But you know what? When I bring up baptism, or maybe when you've brought it up with someone who uh, sees it as a work, or they maybe they see it as uh, taking away from a salvation by grace through faith, a very common argument is that the thief on the cross didn't have to be baptized. And I, th- I think the natural extension of that statement is, if he didn't have to be baptized, then why do we? You know, if one person could be in paradise without being baptized— then aren't those who are preaching baptism making it too difficult for others? You know, it's maybe it's uh, they're concerned that, that people who advocate for baptism are uh, simply leaving people out who might otherwise have obeyed the gospel or been saved. Well, I think a knee-jerk reaction to that statement is to immediately jump in and uh, explain the differences between us and the thief. But I, I, I am going to get to those, but I think a great way that we could begin is by trying to find some common ground. And so uh, I'd like to maybe share some similarities between the thief and then people who obey the gospel today, people who want to become a Christian today. I think it's valuable to remember that both the thief on the cross and a penitent sinner today are saved by God's grace through faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, great scripture talking about how we're not saved by works lest anyone should boast, but we're saved by grace through faith in order to become his workmanship because God has prepared good works for us to do. So 
the thief was saved by God's grace through faith, and so was somebody who was baptized. So let's begin with that connection. When the thief demonstrated his faith in Jesus, the crucified Lord extended his grace to the dying man. And so it is today. When a sinner has heard the gospel and comes to Jesus in faith, the Lord also extends his grace upon that sinner. So there is the similarity. But maybe the question you're asking is, well, how did the thief demonstrate his faith? That's a good one. And I think we could look at a few things. Um, first, we could say that he changed from mocking Jesus to rebuking the other thief who still was mocking Jesus. Uh, we find an example of that in Luke chapter 23, verse 40. Secondly, besides moving from mocking Jesus to defending him, he confessed that Jesus was innocent, unlike himself. That's the next verse in verse 41. He was willing to confess that he deserved it, but he was also willing to confess that Jesus didn't. That's important. And, and third, we could see that from verse 42 that, that he believed in the resurrection and he believed in Jesus' lordship. Now, some um, might speculate that he was at one time a disciple, and uh, he had been baptized under John the Baptist's ministry. But you know what? The Bible, it doesn't offer any evidence about that. Those are just speculations. And so I think we can we don't even have to go into those. We can assume, or conclude rather, we can conclude uh, by the three reasons above that there's enough evidence that he'd put faith in Jesus. He uh, rebuked the other thief, he confessed that Jesus was innocent, unlike himself, and then he... he uh, express belief in the resurrection. That's enough for me to prove that the thief had faith. And you know what? When a, when a penitent sinner obeys the gospel, everything he's doing along the way is in faith, right? So I think about uh, uh, baptism, which is the final step in faith. And a lot of people say, hey, that's a work, right? That's uh, somebody who's trying to work out their own salvation and not trust in God's grace. You know, this is kind of a different conversation, but work in the Bible can mean a lot of different things. And when we are called to do the works that God has asked is different from when we try to work something out for ourselves. Did you know that belief is a work of God? In John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29, the people asked Jesus, what's the work that God would have us to do? And Jesus said, the work that God would have you to do is to believe in him and believe in the one that he sent. And, you know, these people had a really big problem with trying to work out their own salvation by their own works of merit. And so he's obviously emphasizing the work of God as counter to working out your own salvation through works of merit by saying that believing in God is God's work. So we have to differentiate between the two. If you're um, maybe writing scriptures down, you could write James chapter 2, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. It's such a, a good one to identify the value of a work. But when a penitent sinner wants to obey the gospel, they come believing. As that scripture said in John chapter 6, we come repenting just like the thief on the cross did. You know, he he declared that Jesus was innocent unlike himself. There's this change where he goes from mocking to Jesus to defending him. It's a, a lifestyle change, even if it was his lifestyle, you know, in the final moments on the cross. 
somebody that wants to become a Christian today must change. And that's why we use scriptures commonly in the, the gospel invitation, like Luke 13.3, where Jesus said, unless you repent, you will also perish. And just like the thief confessed his belief in Jesus, he confessed that he was Lord, so there is a confession that a penitent sinner makes, a confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it talks about how with the heart we believe and with the mouth we confess unto salvation. And in the book of Acts, we have a great example from the Ethiopian eunuch, the, the man from Ethiopia, as he was preparing to obey the gospel, he confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And so baptism then um, is the final part of that plan, right? So uh, when you're baptized, you're dipped under water. The water isn't magical. It doesn't somehow save you because you were cleansed in holy water. But like 1 Peter 3.21 says, it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. So it's an act of faith. As much as believing and repenting and confessing is, it's an act of faith. Knowing not that this water is going to be so sparkly that it makes you clean, because I don't know about any of you guys out there, but when I got baptized, it was the water, I came out a lot dirtier physically than I did going under. It was kind of gross. But spiritually, my soul was clean, not because of any work I had done, but because God, by his grace, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, gave me the opportunity so that in faith I could believe and repent and confess and be baptized. So, I, you know, you, you most likely many of you have heard the gospel plan of salvation, but it's so important to talk about when we talk about the thief on the cross, because even though he didn't believe, repent, confess, be baptized the way that somebody does in the 21st century today, there is such a pivotal connection that he was a recipient of God's grace through faith, just like we are. Well, let's you know, think about the the obvious differences between the thief and a penitent sinner. So maybe you're thinking, yeah, I get it that we're similar, but Jonathan, are you really going to say that uh, we're identical to the thief on the cross? And the answer is obviously no. Um, so the thief on the cross, th- th- there's obviously some some key points that make his conversion different and not one that we want to try to follow today. So even though we've established this common link of grace and faith, it is our duty to point out the differences. First, he lived and died under the old covenant while we live under a new covenant, like Hebrews 9 verse 7 says. And and you know what that means? It means that while grace and faith are the cornerstone for all salvation, right? So salvation in the Old Testament, salvation in the New Testament, it's always been by grace through faith. God's grace came to Abraham. It didn't have to. It came to the Jewish people. It didn't have to. It came through Jesus Christ. It didn't have to. That's grace. And then Abraham, the father of faith, responded in faith. That's why he becomes its father, according to Romans chapter 4. And the Jewish people were supposed to have responded in faith, and many of them did. And, and that's the ones that are noted and praised in the Old Testament, people who had faith. And so it is in the Christian age as well. Corner, the, the, the cornerstone of salvation is grace and faith. But the Bible's teaching on how we faithfully respond, it's different. It's different uh, 
in the Old Testament, it's different in the New Testament. So the way that a Jew would respond in faith, the way that Abraham or Noah or people in the patriarchal time, whether they responded in faith, and the way that somebody who is a penitent sinner today responds in faith is different. Okay, so uh, that's the key difference. The, the thief lived and died under the old covenant, and I don't live under that covenant today. Secondly, Jesus had authority to forgive sins while he lived on the earth. Have you thought about that? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 8, great example. Um, there's a paralytic. He's brought to Jesus. Um, the people that bring him there want Jesus to heal him. But the thing that Jesus says is, son, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that great? You know, they bring him expecting him to uh, help this guy walk again, and Jesus forgives his sins, and, and nobody seems to be grateful for it at the moment. You know, the religious leaders are grumbling and saying, who do they think he is, that he has the power to forgive sins? Who can do that but God alone? You know what Jesus does? He heals him to prove that he has the power to forgive sins. He says, you know, if saying that you can forgive someone's sins is easy, but to say that you could stand up and walk... Well, that should really prove something. And then he turns and he says, stand up and walk. And the paralytic did. And and that miracle was meant to provide evidence that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. Therefore, if Jesus has the authority to forgive the paralytic sins, he would have the authority to heal or to, to forgive the thief's sin. If I can get my words right. Yeah, so he has the authority to forgive the thief even though the thief hasn't been baptized the way that a penitent sinner that wants to become a Christian needs to be baptized. Jesus' authority to forgive sins permitted such actions. Okay, so the thief lived and died under the Old Covenant. Um, Jesus had the authority to forgive sins while he was on the earth. But third, think about this. Christian baptism is an act of faith that reflects the death of Christ. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. So think about it. If, if Jesus was still alive when the thief acknowledged his lordship and confessed his sin, then that would mean that the thief couldn't have been baptized as a penitent sinner would today because Jesus was still alive too. And, and there's no evidence of, in the gospel of people being baptized in Jesus' name. You know, there's John's baptism. We could talk about that. It's not directly related to this, so I'm just going to leave it alone. And you can look in the first few chapters of the Gospels to learn more about it. But there's no baptism in the name of Christ, the baptism that we baptize today, people that want to obey the Gospel. This only happened after Jesus' death and resurrection. So first, the thief died under the old covenant, right? He lived and died under that covenant. Jesus had the authority to forgive sins while he was on the earth. Uh, the thief couldn't have been baptized because it mirrors Jesus' death, and Jesus was alive whenever he forgave him. And fourth, it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that he authorized his disciples to spread the Christian gospel. Now, that's kind of related to the third one, but it's another way of say, of stating this fact. The thief simply could not have obeyed the gospel because he died before the Christian age began. In Luke chapter 24, the very last few verses say, And then he said to them, This is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So, don't you get it? There's 
no way that we can make the thief on the cross at a parallel to a sinner today and say, well, I'm not going to be baptized because the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. And uh, frankly, you know, that's ignorant based on the facts. Because when you look at the facts, it's quite clear that the thief couldn't have obeyed the gospel the way we do today and that we can't be saved the way that he was back then. Well, there may be a final question, right? Like uh, maybe there's some kind of lingering fact that you're holding on to. And, th- and that would be that what if the thief is uh, an exception, right? And so like, well, you know, the thief was an exception to the rule of those who were following Jesus at the time. And so I can be an exception to the rule as well. Now, I'll tell you right now, I've never heard anybody say that. So maybe I'm, I'm just trying to cover all scenarios here, even the ones that are more hypothetical. But just stay with me, right? So let's say somebody wanted to use the thief on the cross as an exception so that uh, of their own lack of obedience, that they're not going to obey the gospel. Well, you know, we can't claim to speak for God in regard to judgment for each particular soul. We can, though, understand God's plan. And we can understand his will for how people are saved and, and how salvation works in the Christian age. And so the Bible says beyond the shadow of a doubt that anyone who wants to be saved must be baptized for the remission of sins. And, you know, I've heard some of these what-if scenarios that are trying to become exceptions, right? Like, uh, well, what if I was on my way to getting baptized and I got ran over by a truck? You know, or, or what if I was on my deathbed and somebody shared the gospel with me and I wanted to be baptized, but I couldn't move because I'm about to die in one minute? You know what? God is going to do right. right. So Genesis 18.25, God, he uh, asks a rhetorical question when he says, Will the Lord of heaven not judge rightly? And so I take great comfort knowing that he's the judge and not me and that he's going to make sure that everything gets worked out the way it should be, and not me. But I'm not going to use that as an excuse, and I'm not going to use it to make exceptions to say, well, this might work and that might work. So because it might work in this hypothetical land, then you can just do whatever you want. You know, think about that that scenario of somebody being run over by a truck on the way to get baptized. Just how far are you willing to take it? Like, what if you were run over by a truck on your way to uh, hear a sermon that was going to convict your heart, and then then you would have been baptized? Or what if you got ran over by a truck as you were going to school, and, and when you went to school, you were going to graduate and get a job, and when you got a job, that's where you were going to meet somebody who shared the gospel? Don't you see how far we could go with this, trying to make an exception that works What we should be doing, instead of making exceptions to get out of God's commands because we can't figure it out for that one what-if scenario, is that we should do our best to get within the guidelines, get within the boundaries, in the parameters of what we do know. And if the Bible says so plainly, be baptized for the remission of sins, why try to wiggle out of it? Why not rather obey as Jesus has called for us to obey? You know, it makes me think of, in the Old Testament, there's a narrative of a a leper general from a foreign army who was told to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and he'd be healed of leprosy. And I know I'm kind of going through this fast if you're unfamiliar with it. But if you are, 
familiar with it. You're familiar with uh, Naaman the leper. And when he was told that he should go dip in the Jordan River seven times, he got so frustrated because he thought he was supposed to do this great thing. And, uh, you know, he was a, a general who was just a highly honored professional. And to be subjected to something like that, he just didn't want to do it. So he turned around and left. He wasn't going to do it. And somebody took him aside, thankfully, and said, if you had been told to do such great things, wouldn't, wouldn't you have done it? Why not just do this simple thing and just see if it works? And it did. He dipped seven times in the Jordan River, and uh, he came up, and his leprosy had been cleansed. And the mindset of that person asking the question is kind of the mindset I want to share with you all today, and that is, why try to find the exception or the what-if scenario that comforts or assuages your guilty conscience? Why, why try to look for those instead of following a pure and simple teaching of the Bible, which is to obey the gospel in faith the way that people did in the book of Acts, all through the New Testament, as it was written about in the epistles, and up until today's times as well, when members of the Church of Christ come to study with you and tell you how you can obey the gospel and be a Christian, don't look for a what-if scenario or an exception. Come to God believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized for the remission of sins in faith. And so the, the final question I'd like to ask you is, if you trust in Jesus as the thief did, will you do as Jesus said? Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I hope this has been a good conversation. I know it's like just me talking, but... Maybe some of the questions I've asked have been questions that have been on your mind. And I hope that it's been productive for us to meditate on the thief. You know, we are like him. And in a way, he serves as a type for all of us. Man, we have been nailed to the cross of our own sins. And it took a Savior to come along and help us get off that cross, to come along and forgive us of our sins. So we are like him because Jesus extends grace to us even though we don't deserve it. But we're not identical to the thief. We live in a superior covenant. We have a Savior uh, who is able to, through his res- the power of his resurrection, offer us a salvation by grace through faith where we can come believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. And so we are different from the thief on the cross. And let's accept that difference and be grateful that we live in the Christian age. That's it for today. Before you go, I'd like to plug once more the website. Got a lot of stuff on there, and I'd love for you to check it out. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please go and leave me a five-star review. That way we can get this message to more people. Just through them looking for podcasts on whatever app they choose, this program is more likely to be suggested to them the more people like it and uh, leave reviews on it. And the same is true with YouTube. I know this is kind of unrelated, but if you are on YouTube could you please find the Pure and Simple Bible channel and subscribe to it, like the videos? I'm doing my best to get this to as many people as possible. And one of the ways that a YouTube channel, a Facebook group, or a podcast is uh, helpful is that it seems legitimate. And one of the ways that it's legitimate is when there are a lot of people following it. And so, you know, 
I know I don't have silly cat videos like some sites do that have 10 million followers, nor am I really interested in getting 10 million followers for the sake of having those numbers. But I'm interested in helping people learn about Jesus, and this is the way that it's done on a social media platform. So I would appreciate your help. Thank you for all you've done already. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. We're going. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me, and